Hi, I'm Annette Rue, and this is Ruminate on That. Hey there, great to be back with you today and excited to start another short series. This is a series that is definitely rooted in scripture and it leans toward those who are already followers of Jesus. However, if you are an explorer and you're listening, um, thanks for being here. I would still encourage you to keep listening. There are certain principles at work in the world that I think we don't always necessarily give God credit for, but are actually still highly effective. Let me give you an example. So leadership is one of those things. Um, I've been studying that a lot lately in my master's program, and really the concepts that we call leadership and leadership development and leadership health and all of those things kind of started mostly in the 60s where people started writing stuff down. There are actually 65 different veins of leadership thought and leadership study, and we've gone around the world with our ideas about what good leadership actually is. It's changed a lot over the years and developed. Ultimately, everything that we land on to the point where we are right now, when you look at it at its core, it really reflects principles that I can connect easily to God's word and to his character. I think it might be a little controversial, but I would also say that even the, a lot of the sciences are another example of that. We don't necessarily give God credit, like earth sciences, biology, psychology. These are all amazing fields of study, and there are hundreds of brilliant theories out there, some that are not so brilliant. But it's really amazing what humanity has done, and it seems that ultimately we end up circling back over time to things that are actually already kind of pointed out in ancient times. I find that very intriguing. And I think that those are some things that the Bible actually had already pointed to. But it's interesting to me, and this is, again, just my two cents, how a lot of things cycle through. And as we're, as we're really trying to understand and we're digging into these deep concepts and these deep ideas, to me, I think it's really cool that we end up coming back around to something that God already kind of said. I, cre- I believe that God's created us with a tremendous capacity for imagination and discovery. And I think that's how we really, we look like him when we do those things. And the key for me is that we actually are discovering things that were done by him, that were, that were created by him. And so I think that this concept we're going to talk about in the next couple episodes is, is one of those things. And it's where we discover how brilliant God's ideas actually are. <laughs> Sometimes it's almost like when you're a child and your parents are giving you, you know, guidance and they're giving you all these boundaries and rules that seem ridiculous. And then later as time goes on and you gain wisdom and you gain understanding, you're like, oh, I understand now what that was about. And perhaps it hadn't before. I think I think this is one of these moments where you might not even be totally sold on the idea of faith in Christ. And you maybe you're not all the way in with that. I would ask you to still really tune in to this concept because there's some really, um, really impactful things that can be so dynamic to your emotional life, to your mental well-being, to like the wholeness of your person. And um, I think they're just some really basic principles that are just ingenious that God has given us. 
So this is one of those things, and I, I'm pretty excited about it. This is actually something that there's kind of a buzz in Christian circles right now about this, and I, I find that really interesting. I've been planning to do some podcast episodes on this topic f- since the beginning, and I'm just now getting around to that. And there's a, just kind of a buzz about this idea actually going around in Christian circles, and there are like influential leaders and, and churches you know, that have a lot of social media presence and stuff like that, that I'm seeing all over the place that they're talking about this. And I think there's a lot of variables that lead to kind of the Christendom having a common theme. But anytime I notice that happening, and it doesn't seem like it was something that was very obviously triggered, like, so for example, you know, over a year ago, we were struggling with some major racial tension in our country. So it makes sense that the body of Christ should be responding collectively with care and with wisdom and with intentionality. This is not one of those things. I, I don't feel like it's necessarily an obvious topic, but for some reason, I'm noticing it coming up all over the place. To me, that's an indicator that God is stirring something bigger. And in this case, it's something that has also, for me personally, been a theme actually for the entirety of the last year. The theme is rest. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, for the next couple episodes. I think that uh, coming out of 2020 and a global pandemic, it does make sense that we would all have been similarly impacted, right? Because our worlds were flipped upside down and everything came to a screeching halt. So it's possible that that initial great pause, as some people were calling it, kind of prompted us to think about rest. But here's the thing. We were forced to stay home for a season. Since we were forced, I think a lot of people naturally ended up doing some reevaluation at that time because you had time. But it was a forced stop. It was more like we're just not working and, and no producing is allowed because we can't be around each other right now. So it was a halt of activity and a halt of productivity. But it wasn't actually people intentionally taking time to rest mentally or even physically in that space. Some people just got through it. And they weren't even really able to enjoy the fact that everything was slowed down. Honestly, that's understandable. There was so much uncertainty during that time when we were told, you know, shelter in place. You can be physically still and chaos is still raging internally. In essence, I'm talking about this topic because I believe that it provides some context to why maybe we're seeing this theme show up now, a year after we've kind of started to get back to some normal pace. Things are different now. Our normal frantic rhythm got shut down due to the global pandemic we all experienced, but it didn't automatically equate to people taking time to rest. However, the forced shift in rhythm did cause pretty much everyone to look around for a minute at their life and make some observations. So now we're a year away from that. Depending on where you live, you've felt it sooner or later the shift of moving kind of back towards some normal activity. And I'm not surprised that now is where we find this stirring starting to come. Because as we're getting back into the rhythm, or getting closer to the rhythm of what life was like before, it's causing a lot of us to go, hmm, 
do I want that rhythm again? I'm not so sure I want to get back to that pace. Something about that doesn't feel right, doesn't feel the same. I think that perhaps this is a really crucial window of time where we could learn to value rest and consider being more intentional with what that regular rhythm of life looks like and be healthier. We all know that we were at an unhealthy, frantic pace before. So what can we do now? What we're going to talk about today goes beyond just the idea of slowing down, not being busy, taking vacation, like stop and smell the roses. We're, we're going to go farther than that. We're going to talk about a spiritual practice and the impact of what is called Sabbath rest. Here's a little bit of history, because this is an ancient idea, and it was actually something that God commanded the people to do, his, the Hebrew people. So in the list of 10 commandments, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, it is number four in the list. And here's a little disclaimer as I continue to talk about some of this history. Uh, There have been books upon books written about the details and the history and the practice and anything else you can imagine about Sabbath. And people that are scholarly can, can give you a really beautiful and broad picture to fully understand this. And I recommend if this is something that is stirred in you that you look more into it. Consider this kind of a primer as far as looking at some history and some context, just the basics so that we can actually talk about the practice. You're going to get a lot of the personal side of this from me about the practice, the purpose of it, some of the results and the impact. So again, if this strikes a chord with you, keep an eye out. I plan to put a blog post together and I will put that on my website, annetteru.me. And I'm going to include some of the resources that I am talking about, some amazing quotes that I have found, and some other just amazing treasures, things that I have been learning over the course of this last year, and some of the things that God's been showing me about Sabbath. I'm going to try to take some of those essential elements and put it into a blog post, because let's be honest, not many people go look at the show notes. So I'll take some time to share that with you. I want to give you a little bit of context and enough history to frame this topic well, But just know there's a lot more out there. So let's get into it. We're going to go a little bit Bible nerd mode for just a minute um, because we're going to go back to Exodus 20. If we're going to talk about Sabbath or Shabbat, as it is in Hebrew, uh, in Exodus 20, that's where we need to go. This is where we read the account of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses for the Hebrew people for the very first time. But we need to remember what they had just come from. They had just come out of 430 years of captivity as slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. 430 years. Just think of how many generations of families that is. 430 years. That is twice the time that the United States has been in existence. And these people just came out of this um, long history of captivity living as slaves And they have gone out, they crossed the Red Sea in this miraculous fashion. God gave them an escape. And now they are in the wilderness trying to figure out what do we do now? We have no home. We're not so sure about this leader. What do we do now? And so Moses went up on the mountain and God was going to give him these essential foundational commandments to start helping them build this new society, build this new people. The first four commandments 
are all about how we relate to God. All the four of them talk about the way that we connect to him and what he's asking of us and how we should view him. And then the last six commandments are all about how we relate to others, to our neighbor, if you will, is a common term that's used. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you may also know that Jesus reiterated this two-part focus that we see there with the first four and then the last six when he was asked about the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, we read about, starting in verse 35, uh, there was some religious leaders in the area and they were trying to set Jesus up. Here's what happened. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus literally summarized the first four commandments with the single greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. If you go back to the four command, first four commandments, you'll see that. And then the, the six were summarized in the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets were based on those two things. Everything that God had placed into scripture, had entrusted to his messengers was summarized in those two commandments, in those two sections. So when scholars are looking at the 10 commandments, they say that the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is almost like a bridge commandment because it actually addresses both of those pieces. It talks about the connection to the holiness of God, but then also connects to caring for self and for others. So let's look a little closer at that. In Exodus 20, in verse 2, is where we're introduced to God's about to reveal the Ten Commandments. And it says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Then if you move down to verse 8, this is actually the commandment about the Sabbath. And here's what it sounds like. In verse 8, it says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners that are living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So if we look at this commandment, several sentences that God gives to describe the Sabbath, and he's saying, this is a day, this is an important day, and you need to keep it holy. It is very specific about what it is and who it applies to. It's one entire day of rest, no working, that's dedicated to the Lord, set aside for him. It's blessed and set apart as holy. The, the idea of being set apart is a common theme with the Lord and with the Hebrew people. They were set apart and there were things that God asked them to do so that they would stand out. That was the point. I want you to stand out amongst all the peoples of the world in all the diversity that exists. I want you to stand out and be special because of some certain things I'm going to have you do. And this is one of those things. 
this day is set apart as holy. And it applied to everyone. It applied to their entire family. It applied to their employees. It applied to, in our context, or coworkers. It applied to their animals, your possessions. And anyone even staying with you needed to honor this principle and have a day of rest. Another thing to remember is that it's a command. It's not a recommendation. It's not one of God's top 10 tips for a happy life. This is a command. And I heard someone say once, kings give commands, they don't make suggestions. And this is a command that God is saying, if you are my people, set this day apart to be, to be different, to be holy and dedicated to me. The Sabbath touches every aspect of their lives. There's nothing that's, that's not touched by it. It literally affects all of their livelihood, all of their productivity, everything that's associated with productivity. And then God himself, we see in these verses, he set the example of rest in how he shared with them the story of the creation. He shared that with his people and he pointed out he took one day for rest. He's God. He's all powerful. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He's always okay. But he took one day to not be productive, to not produce, and to, in order to set an example for his people. Here's what's really cool. There's just so many facets of this that are really interesting to me, and I've been studying it more and ruminating on it. Um, I've, I've seen a couple of things that I hadn't thought of before. Because again, these are people that just came out of slavery. They literally just walked out of 430 years of bondage. God emancipated them from slavery, but he also set them free from the work-driven systems of Egypt. He wanted them to come out of that mentality and to start a new life. The gods of Egypt demanded endless producing. They were never satisfied. It was always bigger, always need to be better, always need to be more impressive, need to show how amazing we are and leave a mark. And the Hebrew slaves were seen by the Egyptian leaders as a commodity. They just needed them to get the job done, make more bricks. God's proclamation about the Sabbath was a huge contrast in that time. Pharaoh had an obsession with control and with productivity. You can read about that in Exodus 5, actually. There's even things that he did of saying, we're not even going to give them straw to make bricks anymore. Get your own straw, but you need to produce just as many bricks as you did before. He's trying to control the people and demanding this productivity. And this is what they were accustomed to. This was their mindset every day. Get the straw, make the bricks, produce every day. Backbreaking work no joy in this work. It's amazing that the Hebrew people continued to thrive and that's because God's hand was on them. And and these gods of insatiable productivity were completely in contrast to what who God is. God declared his people would take one entire day and literally do nothing productive. They would be intentionally non-producing on one entire 24-hour period. That would have flown in the face of everything that, that ancient culture understood because it was always about achieving and building and being great. There's a book called Sabbath as Resistance. It's by Walter Brueggemann. And I loved that concept when I heard the title, Sabbath as Resistance. That seemed odd to me because when you hear of Sabbath, if you've grown up in the church world or you're familiar with it, and you think of Sabbath, you think of quiet, restful, peace, maybe stillness, you know, like holy. 
you don't think of resistance. And so I was so curious. And this is a, one of the books that I had to read for class. And I loved the concept of Sabbath as resistance because he's the one that he really pointed out and articulated it very well that that God once again was making this huge point of flying in the face of what was conventional wisdom at that time to, to declare one entire day is for not producing. It's just for being. It's just for resting. It's for being refilled. Being refueled is for connecting to one another, caring for each other, loving each other, and honoring the Lord. And that seems counterintuitive if you're trying to achieve things, if you're trying to make a living. That just doesn't make sense. And it is very much resistant to the common culture. If you think about the world we live in today, it's not an ancient society, but I know lots of people that don't take a day off for weeks, even months. We're, we're working. We're always trying to make money. We're trying to pay bills and we're paying bills because we needed, the more, we needed more stuff and we needed more stuff because my neighbor has nice stuff and I'm trying to get more stuff than my parents had. And it's this like perpetual cycle of I need to produce because I need more stuff and I need bigger stuff and I need better stuff. It just sounds like Pharaoh and the pyramids right? It's the same concept at the core of humanity and our human nature is like we're always striving because we're convinced that when we get there, when the last brick is placed, then I'm going to feel fulfilled. But if you've been alive for more than a couple decades, you know, many times when you achieve the thing that you thought you so desperately wanted, it's lacking. And God calls us to this place of just stop just stop one day a week. Stop all of that. Stop the striving. Stop the working. Stop the producing. Once again, paradoxical. God loves operating in paradox. It's one of my favorite things about God and one thing that completely frustrates me about him because it can sometimes be hard to understand. What am I supposed to do here? Do I wait or do I seek? You know, these moments that we're struggling through. All of you producing to get more stuff and God is saying, I'm just going to say one day that's totally opposite. That's the basic premise. If we boil it down, fast forward to today, might, you might even be saying, why do I even care about that Old Testament stuff? I hear that often. Does that even apply to us? Jesus came and we had a new covenant and the old stuff doesn't even apply. Here's the thing. I, I won't get into all of the details of that. Um, I don't agree with the concept that that people have said. I understand, but I I don't agree. Jesus himself actually reinforced many different principles from the Old Testament during his ministry time, and he only had three years, and we don't have every single word that he ever spoke, but there are several examples that I can list for you where Jesus reinforced and he, he talked again about the principles that had been presented to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament and that God had instructed them to pursue for hundreds of years. Some examples of that are taking care of the elderly people in your family. Like be responsible and take care of them. That's part of your, part of your responsibility. Uh, prayer, just the concept of prayer. Jesus talked about coming together in marriage. He reinforced fasting. He talked about it again. Tithing is t- definitely addressed in the New Testament. Uh, and he also addressed Sabbath. And a lot of times religious teachers were coming after him and his disciples and challenging them. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and that frustrated them to no end. In their minds, that was not allowed. 
He even told the man that was healed, pick up your bed and walk. A man that had been paralyzed for years. As they told him to do that. And they what was their problem in the moment? That he carried his bed on the Sabbath. They were offended. His disciples were picking heads of wheat while they walked through a field one day. And, and again, the concept of Sabbath had been twisted by the religious leaders of that day. But when Jesus addressed it, he reinforced the principle of Sabbath, but he was trying to show them that they were missing it. They were missing the heart of it and missing the goal of it. It's one of seven days. We're called to work for six days, be productive for six days a week. One day, don't produce. Rest, stop, slow down, worship. Could it be that the Sabbath principle is just like the tithe principle when it comes to stewarding our finances? Those things don't mathematically make sense. In the tithe, which means a tenth, if you have $100 and you give $10 away in tithe, you give that to the house of God, I only have $90. It doesn't make sense. If I need $100 and I give $10 to the church, how am I going to make it? Here's the thing. In God's economy, it works out every time. He says, test me in this. In our human reasoning, when I give something away, now I have less. How am I supposed to do what I need to do with less? And I think that that is our struggle with Sabbath as well. But this is even bigger percentage. It's one seventh of a week that God is saying, set this aside and don't do what you normally do with it. How can I set a whole day aside and still have enough time to do what I need to do? Doesn't seem mathematically sound, but it sounds supernatural. And maybe that is why so many churches and influential leaders are beginning to talk about this practice again recently. I feel like we go in cycles with it in the church. And after the difficult time that we have had and our the pace of life has been interrupted across the globe, maybe God is calling us back to this place. There's something really powerful in this concept of here, I've given you all of this. I'm asking you to set this side and give it this part aside and give it back to me. And I'm going to make sure that you have enough. There's something really amazing in that, something really powerful. And I think many of us are missing out. I think this is where I'm going to wrap it up for today. I kind of tried to set the scene. I tried to give you a little bit of context and some history. Hopefully it's given you a good understanding of the concept of Sabbath. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I don't believe this is only a practice that benefits people of faith. Think about the effect of just having one day completely set aside for rest, to unplug, to recharge, to do things that are just delightful and fill you up. Can you just imagine how that can affect you? How would that impact you mentally one entire day? Or relationally, to just have one day that you can invest relationally, you can be all in and focused. Physically, just the the toll on your body from constantly running, to have one day for your body to rest and heal. Emotionally, just think about the impact of that, of taking a break. I genuinely believe there is an unwrapped gift waiting 
for those who have never practiced the Sabbath or maybe not regularly. In my own life, I feel like I've been awakened to a whole other level about how crucial this can actually be for me. It looks really different for me than it did a year ago. And I'll tell you this, I'm never going back. Take some time to think about the rhythm of your life right now. Are you tapping out that rhythm or are you racing to keep up with something? Are you longing for a break? Do you constantly daydream about a day off or vacation? What could it look like for you to totally shut down all productivity for one day every week? Can you even imagine the possibility of that? Here's a closing thought. I heard Robert Madu say this. If you can't rest from it, then you're a slave to it. Take a little time and ruminate on that.